The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe, live at WBUR.org. I am Robert Allen Hill, the Dean of Marsh Chapel, and on behalf of the chapel congregation, I encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. Today, as we sing the hymns of Easter, we joyfully welcome Marsh Chapel's own Inner Strength Gospel Choir under the gracious direction of Mr. Herbert Jones. And we further welcome our own chapel associate, Liz Douglas, back to our pulpit with pride and gratitude in this Easter season. While we have breath, we shall remember and affirm the goodness in the hymn of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see. In those who up to thee we give, thine, holy thine, to die and live. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, confession is good for the soul. One great treasure which the world's religious traditions may offer our troubled time is the language of confession. Words for confession, psalms of lament, hymns of contrition, poems of compunction, all offered in the happy confidence of God's lavish, pardoning love. You may want to get something off your chest. You may want to let a secret go. Imagine in your right hand a postcard and in your left hand a pen. As the choir sings our Kyrie, write out your own secret on your own card. And as the choir finishes, drop it in the mail and let it go. You will be glad you did. Pens poised, let us pray.
friends, news, good news, receive by return mail the good news of God's love for you, which is lavish, uncritical, personal, unearned. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The word of the Lord.
Please join us in the reading of the psalm and the singing of the antiphon. sanctuary. Praise God in his mighty firmament. Praise God for his mighty deeds. Praise God for his excellent greatness. Praise God with the trumpet sound. Praise God with the lute and the harp. Praise God with tambourine and dance. Praise God with strings and pipe. Praise God with sounding cymbals. Praise God with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has been Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, They are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails on the hand of his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
It's no wonder our gospel reading today begins with the disciples locked in a room together, hiding for fear of the outside world. Their friend was dead, an execution they themselves had witnessed, and they were suddenly left very alone. Everything they had put their trust and hope in had vanished, and they were petrified. Were they next, guilty by association? Surely they weren't expecting their friend and leader to be tried and convicted, sentenced to death, when all alone they followed him and believed he was there to fix the bad, heal the broken, and inspire change. What now were they supposed to do? Jesus didn't leave them a guidebook for Ministry 101. Instead, the disciples were left very afraid and very confused, locked away, fearful for their lives, wondering how to go on. We are blessed with the knowledge of an empty tomb and the risen Christ. But the beginning of our gospel reading today does not reflect hallelujahs or shouts of joy, not just yet. Instead, we sense fear and concern, anxiety and numbness, as the disciples wonder how it is that Jesus is dead and missing from the tomb. When we look at our reading from Acts, we sense a very different kind of emotions. The disciples here are bold, confident, sure of their faith, and eager to proclaim the message of the resurrection, even when danger surrounds them. It almost seems as if they are different people than those we witness hidden in the locked room in John's Gospel. If we keep reading John's account of Jesus' appearing before the disciples, we know that the disciples don't just move from being terrified to being confident without something happening in between. They stood in the presence of the divine and were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Astonishment, hope, was renewed. And now, we are in the second week of Easter. The psalmist praising God, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The tomb is empty and death could not defeat the greatest good ever known. It's the time of year for rebirth, new life and warmth. Spring surrounds us and we have a bounce in our step. The world is in bloom. Thankfully, we don't have to live in the darkness and harsh weather of winter all year. And thankfully, the disciples didn't remain in the locked room forever. When face to face with the living dead, they rejoiced. How fortunate for them to be in that room when the miracle of their risen friend appeared before them. How unfortunate for Thomas, who was not with them at the time of the appearing. No, he was away, and when he returned, he refused to believe. He was so defeated and swathed in sadness and grief that he could not believe such a tall tale, even though I'm sure, somewhere deep inside of him, he wanted nothing more to have faith in such a wonderful story. A Saturday morning a few weeks ago, I sat in my reading chair with a cup of coffee next to me, and I put, pulled a book of poetry off the shelf. It had been a long time since I read poetry, but a stirring inside moved me to find something by Mary Oliver, the Provincetown poet. I read slowly and breathed deeply. I should have known inspiration and imagination would strike me, and I was amazed and grateful for her honest words on the pages. What was interesting about the book I chose, out of all the others, was that this one in particular evoked very strong emotions for Oliver. This collection of poems were written and collaborated after the death of her longtime partner of over 40 years. 
The loss of someone so dear, someone so close and cherished, how to go on living in the midst of such sorrow, how to keep on creating beauty in the midst of such heartbreak, how to have hope in the midst of despair. She does these things. I keep coming back over and over to the first poem in this book called Messenger. She begins by saying her work is loving the world. She then continues, let me keep my mind on what matters, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, gratitude to be given a mind and a heart in these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and to the wren, to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. This poem says it so beautifully, how we are to be in the world, messengers of the good news, bringing light to darkness, even in the midst of our own personal struggles and sorrow. What matters? Letting ourselves be astonished. Everything we need, we already have. Gratitude, minds, hearts, and a mouth. Letting ourselves be astonished. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? We just read about the disciples' amazement over the figure of the risen Christ in their midst. The reaction could have been one of skepticism, eyebrows cocked, taking a step back from Jesus, arms folded across their chests, demanding an answer for the mysterious intrusion into the room. They could have asked for details. How is it possible that you, O oh Lord, are alive? Where did you go? How did you come back? How is it that you can walk through doors? What was it like being dead? No, Luke didn't mention any such reactions from the disciples, but instead they let the mystery surround them. They combined that mystery with what Jesus had already taught them during his ministry, and they firmly believed that his resurrection meant that he was indeed the Messiah. No, in that moment, they let themselves be astonished. Now Thomas found himself in a similar situation a week later when Jesus appeared before him as well. In that moment, he didn't demand anything from Christ. Instead, he too allowed himself to be astonished. Growing up, the only thing I really knew about Thomas was his supposed failure, his doubting. The words of a simple children's song run through my head, don't be a doubting Thomas, trust fully on God's promise, why worry when you can pray? But Thomas was so much more than the disciple who doubted Jesus' resurrection. Earlier in John, it's evident that Thomas was willing to follow Jesus even to death when he said to the other disciples, rallying them to move along, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas did not hesitate. He had hope when Jesus was alive. He watched him perform miracles, transform people's lives, cause excitement, find followers, and speak of future promises, even things that were beyond his understanding at that time. Thomas gave his life to following this message-bearer of good news, peace, and love. When that person died, a part of Thomas died as well. He was losing hope, unsure of anything, while darkness covered the world, and just when his pain was going to be too much for him to bear, his hope was renewed. Face to face with the living Christ, his beloved friend and trusted teacher, he knew in that moment that his life was worth something, that he meant something. He held on to hope, and he believed he could make a difference. 
as long as the message of the good news was always being lived out. In his book, Hope on a Tightrope, Cornell West describes hope as a messy struggle through which the real work needs to be done. Often hope is seen as something often hope is seen as simply something better in the future, but that's not where hope ends. That's where it begins. It starts with being astonished, wonder and amazement. We need to let ourselves be moved and take the time to sit and listen. From astonishment comes imagination for something better, for love, justice, equality, for Christ. Action follows. But how does this become real unless there are those willing to do the hard work? To dig deep and trudge knee-high in the mud? We learn from the disciples in Acts that living out hope is not easy. How often were they persecuted? Disbelief surrounded them, yet they never stopped being the messengers of the miracle they had witnessed. They never stopped living out the hope they saw in Jesus' life on earth. They recognized that hope meant living out the truth in very real and very difficult ways. West's metaphor of hope being on a tightrope is interesting, isn't it? A balancing act, slowly stepping across, one foot in front of the other, afraid to fall, to have to start all over again. When will we ever reach the other side? But hope is on a tightrope. It must go slowly, cautiously, anxiously, and eagerly. We fall into despair when we slip, but we get back up, like Thomas. We start over again, again, and again, and again. Because it's not always easy, and living out the truth is rarely effortless. We do not always live in the Easter moment, trumpets blaring, drums pounding, the scent of lilies surrounding us, the joyful song and speech of love eternal and redemption, no, we too often find ourselves caught in between, like the disciples and like Thomas, where it's difficult to see beyond the dismal and dreary days towards the evidence of hope, of life anew, of the living Christ. Sometimes it's not enough to hear a story. If we know the good news, we must be living it out in order for others to not simply hear the story of Jesus' resurrection, but to also see, to witness what hope actually looks like in the flesh. But the hope-filled aren't always joy-filled. Just as the psalmist often wrote mournful and sorrowful lines about his despair, we too sink into the turmoil of the world around us. We aren't always clanging the cymbal, dancing with praise, or letting out shouts of delight. We are human. Just as the human Jesus wept for his dear friend Lazarus, we too often find ourselves weeping. Just as the human Jesus felt anger at the people's corruption of the temple, we too rise up out of anger because of the things beyond our control. Just as the human Jesus cried out to God in humble prayer in the garden, we too go alone to the quiet, dark places, seeking out answers and crying out to God, overwhelmed and out of breath. Just as Thomas doubted the possibility of a miracle, we too doubt the possibility of change in the world around us. Once a year, I invite the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students I work with to join me in a night of storytelling in order to share our personal journeys, joys, and hardships. It's a time for truth-telling and sharing based on trust and acceptance. I always preface the event by stating anyone can share as much or as little as wanted and, 
For confidentiality's sake, nothing leaves that room after we all go our separate ways. Most students are nervous and awkward at first, unsure of what to say or how to start. I step in and begin with a story from my undergraduate years, one to which they can relate and connect. There isn't a better start to a new academic year than in this way, in my opinion. Honesty, community, laughter, tears, knowing that you aren't alone on campus. Knowing that somebody is there for you and all you have to do is ask. Knowing that others have gone through some of the same life experiences as you and there are safe places to turn towards. I often leave these meetings full of awe. I am astonished over and over again by the struggles of some of these students have gone through and to continue to wrestle with. And I am amazed at the joy often expressed in the midst of these struggles. It's inspiring. The creativity and passion expressed through simple words reminds me of Mary Oliver, who also had been able to continually create and inspire in the midst of struggle. When I reflect on my time with these students in this setting, I see the hope dwelling up inside of them as they continue to listen and share. If they're not alone, and if others share the same vision, inspiration strikes. Hope is renewed. And like Thomas, they realize they can make a difference and that their lives do have meaning. Thomas just needed something a little more. He needed more than a story from his friends. He needed an encounter with the living Christ. He needed hope. If we truly are made in God's image, and if we truly are called to be bearers of the good news, we must imitate Christ. We must. The disciples in Acts were filled with renewed hope upon seeing the risen Christ and feel the Spirit move during Pentecost. They were no longer locked in the room full of despair and frozen with fear. They experienced the resurrection firsthand. They had work to do, even to their deaths. Christ's message of hope and love would not fade. They were called to be messengers, to breathe shouts of joy, and to continue the struggle of hope. Be astonished, friends. Move from the fear and frustration, the numbness and sorrow, towards amazement of what is and what more could be. Only when we allow ourselves to be astonished may we begin to envision something more for ourselves and our world. Only then will we begin to be hopeful people, and only then will our imaginations push us to show that same hope to others. Take the time to see and hear, watch and listen. Let the simple things amaze you, the spider delicately hanging from a single strand, swaying in the breeze, the beauty of the pink blossoms along Commonwealth Avenue, the kindness expressed by students from Hugs Don't Hate, offering free hugs outside of Marsh Plaza. And also, be amazed at the things you never expected that often seem preposterous, and let yourselves be astonished. Take the time to be moved. Only then will we invite imagination to be at work inside of us, our hope being renewed and worked out together. The biblical hope requires imagination to be at work, envisioning what could be between human beings, nations, churches, and it requires us to live that out, the truth we know of these future promises. We are called to live out the good news, to live out the truth and inspire others along the way. Work your way across the tightrope wholeheartedly and zealously, and pick one another up after a fall. 
help one another move from fear, like the disciples, to confidence, joy, and hope. With minds, hearts, and mouths, tell the simple message of what you know to be true and alive. Be messengers full of truth, full of mercy, full of hope, full of astonishment. Amen. We come to the time in our service when we offer our prayers and petitions to God. You may stand, kneel, remain seated, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we sing together the call to prayer, Lead Me. to care for those who are our companions, not only with words of comfort, but with acts of love. Seeking to be true friends of all, we offer our prayers on behalf of the church and the world. We pray for the victims of recent tragedies, especially for the 29 West Virginian miners who lost their lives this week and for their grieving families. We continue to lift up the people of Haiti, Chile, and now Mexico as they rebuild their lives and homes in the wake of natural disaster. We pray for the people of Poland and Thailand as they face questions of changing leadership. We pray for the leaders of our world in times of transition and change. Grant us your everlasting comfort in these times of deepest need and confusion. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the church here in the pews of Marsh Chapel and around the world. We lift up our religious leaders, and especially our Catholic sisters and brothers in their times of difficulty. Grant us reconciliation and forgiveness as we seek justice and fairness for the church, that it may be a beacon of your love to the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We lift up the unemployed, the homeless, the depressed, the lonely, Grant us your peace and provision as we look for hope in the midst of trying times. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We pray for peace and an end to war, that we might be reconciled to one another and look past our differences to celebrate the diversity of human and created life. We pray for our earth and all of creation. Grant us humility that we might honor its fragile web of life and remember our small place within it. Strengthen us to undo the destructive habits of humanity that we may create a sustainable future for all of life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our persecuted and oppressed brothers and sisters, for those who face opposition and judgment due to their race, gender, sexual orientation, or religious beliefs. We give you thanks for those who have forged the way for equality. Grant us courage and strength to speak up today for those whose voices are silenced. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. The peace of the Lord be always with you. I want to take a second to alert you to the red pads that can be found towards the center aisles. If you take a moment for me and just fill those out so that we can get to know you better and so that you can also get to know the names of those folks who are seated next to you. I'd really appreciate it. I want to give a very big welcome to the Inner Strength Gospel Choir. Thank you for coming today and thank you for gracing us with your musical gifts. If you guys liked what you heard from Inner Strength Gospel Choir, I would encourage you to um, go to their concert this Friday at 7.30 p.m. It's going to be here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. Um, also, the BU Baroque Orchestra is presenting Telmon's St. Luke's Passion of 1744. That's this upcoming Wednesday. It's at 7.30, also here in the nave, and that's free admission. 
And last but not least, L'Academy, the uh, ensemble and residence of Marsh Chapel, will be having their final concert of the year in the nave again this Saturday at 8 p.m. If you're interested in finding out more details, um, information about ticket prices for any of these concerts, I would encourage you to look towards the back of your bulletin. There are details listed there. The inaugural multi-faith dinner is um, going to be occurring this Saturday, April 17th from 4 to 6 p.m. in the faculty dining room. This can be found on the fifth floor of the GSU. The inaugural multi-faith dinner will be honoring religious diversity at Boston University and there will be speakers including Dean Hill and Brother Larry Whitney, Miranda Rosenberg, and Jim Jebbia, Faith's Acts Fellows. Tickets are $5 and seating is limited, so I would encourage you if you're interested to speak to either John Proust or Lauren Miramontes for more information. <coughs> Next week, we will be welcoming Reverend Professor Peter Gomes to the pulpit. Uh, Reverend Gomes is from Harvard Memorial Church. Dean Hill will be swapping pulpits and he will be preaching over at Harvard next week. We'll miss you, Dean Hill, but I'm looking forward to meeting Professor Gomes. So we'll have you back next week, <laughs> or the week after, I should say. <laughs> the peace of the Lord be always with you. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Thank mm -hmm. you.
in Christ Jesus preached blessing to those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, use these, our gifts, to renew and strengthen our faith in the world. Let us be astonished. We pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we are pleased to have the Reverend Mr. Stephen Cady participating in our service. Um, Stephen is Jan and Bob Hill's son-in-law, and he's a PhD candidate at Princeton. So please be sure to welcome him on your way out this morning. And now, may God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with kindness and give you peace. Go in God's continuing presence with the power to love and the strength to serve. Amen.